This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of the Sentinel Fort in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash district sentinel. Help support the news co-op. Pretty wild weekend. Let's just run down some of the stuff that happened uh, this weekend here. Uh, Trump had a Civil War tweet. I guess that happened, uh, what was that, this morning or I last think, night? I think it was last night, okay. uh, late late Sunday evening. Uh, the president quoted uh, a guy named Pastor Robert Jeffress. Jeffress? Jeffers? Jeffress? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Pastor Jeffress raised the prospect of Civil War II. <sighs> On Fox, he said, quote, if the Democrats are successful in removing the president from office, which they will never be, it will cause a civil war like fracture in this nation from which our country uh, will never heal. Trump has since deleted this. He took heat from fellow Republicans. Congressman Adam Kinzinger, Kinzinger, excuse me, called it uh, beyond repugnant. So Trump has tweeted it, probably will pretend like he never tweeted it to begin with and won't deny that the content of the tweet is actually bad. (laughs) But my personal take on this is that here we have another politician making promises he'll never keep. I, uh... I mean, we're talking about a president who can't take stares he looks like he can't walk with other world leaders. He needs yeah. a golf cart. Yeah. He does play a lot of golf, but I really I just don't think he has the cardio to lead a faction into civil war. <laughs> no, I yeah, I don't see uh I don't see Trump as Stonewall Jackson <laughs> like on his horse at the front of the lines. Uh I do see Trump uh willing to whip up his most fervent supporters trying to encourage them to take to the streets or engage in violence to protect him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, that's, that's a fair point. And perhaps we can only joke about this tweet this much because surely there are some of his, uh, more hardline far right supporters out there are probably going to see that as some sort of license to try to do something. And, uh, I mean, it ha- it seems to happen every few weeks. So, yeah. anyway. Robert Jeffress, his name sounded familiar. I had to look him up. He was the pastor who compared Obama to the Antichrist mm. a few years ago. And then went on to endorse Donald Trump. Let's see what else happened this week. Elon Musk has gone off winning a Meltdown May Worst Tweet Tournament to now getting a labor violation. That's right. A administrative law judge found that Musk violated the National Labor Relations Act, which, of course, this is a federal law uh, that gives you your rights to organize a union and do other forms of concerted activity. Uh, The order forces Tesla to read workers their rights with Elon Musk present if he's still uh, the CEO of the company. So I... I think that basically the ALJ administrative law judge is the first hurdle of cases that are litigated under the the, uh, National Labor Relations Act. So chances are this is probably going to go up to Trump's board, which might find some some uh, way to get Elon Musk out of this to not Not have to just listen to 
the workers being read their rights because yeah. that would just be too much for Elon. We got to protect Elon from that. Yeah. Either way, I see a dipshit like Elon Musk fighting this tooth and nail or trying to. I'm not sure if uh, the Tesla board <laughs> will really let him. But obviously, the NLRA uh, is is very deficient as a law granting workers their rights. But this sort of thing, like making Elon Musk be there while someone is literally ordered by a government agent to read you, you have the right to form a union. Yeah, I don't think we should discount the humiliation right. uh, that that will inflict on someone like Elon Musk, who might want to spend millions of his own dollars to fight this charge. Yeah, this isn't so much a huge victory for workers as much as it's a humiliation for Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of humiliation, one more business story. Then we'll. Is this about WeWork? This is about WeWork. <sighs> our whipping, our wh- new whipping boy. Our new WeWork. whipping boy. WeWork is pulling its IPO. Uh, it's gone. It's not going to be floating on the uh, New York Stock Exchange. Its mm. equities soon. This, Pray for WeWork. The so-called S one registration with the Securities and Exchange Commission has been withdrawn. Uh, the the CEO said this according to uh, Paulina Marinova, a Fortune magazine reporter on Twitter, quote, we have decided to postpone our IPO to focus on our core business, the the fundamentals of which remain strong. Now, if you you are using the same language that John McCain used (laughs) to describe why the economy is actually okay during the Great Recession, your company might not be around in a few months, just like John McCain. We can only hope. Uh, one last, and I meant that politically, but also it works double because he's dead. Yeah, McCain, he still is. Yeah, but he made that economy the two thousand eight, and then he got drubbed in the election. Yeah, and then he and, died. And now a few he's years dead. <laughs> uh, finally, this weekend, Amy Klobuchar coming out on the campaign trail to tell a story about how she killed a duck. Um, <laughs> Which on the face of it, you, you're like, yeah, I can picture that. Yeah, right. You're like, yeah, that, that actually makes sense. But she claims that she doesn't golf, but one time she did golf, she hit a shot and it killed a duck. Which, look, I grew up in Florida. I've played my fair share of golf. I've never seen anyone kill a duck. I've never seen anyone come close to killing a duck. Especially someone like Amy Klobuchar, who claims she's never played golf. There's no way she can generate enough power to kill a duck with the ball so not even by slicing it you don't think no i don't think so i don't think so maybe to phase the duck or look she's making this story up one (laughs) she's bizarre by thinking that telling a story of her killing a duck endears herself with voters even more bizarre she's making up a story of killing a duck to appeal to voters what is going on here this person is truly deranged i mean it gives us like, more. I'm genuinely concerned about her for her staff and people around her. <laughs> well, we we didn't need the duck story uh, to, to, to have those concerns. I think it does. It gives us more of an insight into the psychological profile of someone who allegedly, you know, has has done all sort like ate food with a comb through yes. a binder at her staffers, screamed at staffers. Like, you know, like 
allegedly left her car at National Airport and just told the people she's a senator or something. And now bragging about killing majestic creatures. In the drop-off lane. And yeah, now bragging about... (laughs) This is is bizarre. Did she say who she was with playing golf that day? No. Maybe we need to... I saw saw Jeff Stein uh, on Twitter talking about we need to interview the caddy. Need to find out who the caddy was who's out there. Who I mean, the- if only if only we had like the backing of a major newspaper and unlimited resources, Jeff. <laughs> get to the bottom of this. <laughs> who was who was in her foursome? I don't know. Was- she didn't get into much detail, which speaks to the fact that she just is making it up. It was a lie that she said in passing. This did not happen. I guarantee okay, Amy Klobuchar might have killed a duck. She might have killed a lot of different animals. <laughs> And humans, for all that matter, she didn't do it on the golf course. That's all I'm saying. All right, let's move on. It's uh, it's one of the Jewish high holy days today, the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. So Sam and I are taking the day off from doing the newscast. In fact, we shouldn't even be doing that. We shouldn't have even pushed the record button on the dang mixer here. We shouldn't even be dealing with microphones or computers. Yeah, we shouldn't be dealing. We should be in shul, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we, but here we are. In lieu of the newscast, we are releasing the interview we did last week with podcaster Karen Geyer about the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's obsession with blackface and uh, the upcoming elections up in Canada. It was a fun interview. Uh, It was an interview that's been behind our paywall that we're now releasing for free so that everyone can listen right now. Enjoy. I know uh, a lot of Americans speaking... For myself, as an American, got a kick out of hearing that your prime minister just really, really, really was into doing blackface. There are uh, between three and, well, dozens and dozens and dozens of potential instances of him wearing uh, blackface. It's just a costume enthusiast. I don't know what you're trying to imply here. (laughs) He really stretches. I mean, he's doing the hands and everything. It's really, really, he really gets into it. But um, not one of those photos is of him like doing Avatar or something. Like you at least have to have plausible deniability, my friend. Like, (laughs) (laughs) well, down here, we've since moved on to other stories like impeaching our president and stuff. But is is the blackface controversy still persisting in Canada? I mean, the right wants it to be, and the right wants to use it to sort of deflect from the things that, that they're all about. But really, you know, I said this on day one of this, which is kind of a, it's, we can get into why this is so fucking depressing, but I said this will hurt him for some time in some polls. Guess what? It hasn't even hurt him in, in hardly any polls that I've seen. So, you know, I, I approach this from the perspective of he is such a, he's like a Beyonce type of a personality here so that people don't view him as human as much as like, oh, you know, you know, he didn't mean to do it or whatever, or it's being misinterpreted or whatever. And the real thing is, you know, the thing that I want to talk about. So it really hasn't hurt him. I'm just curious how the right in Canada goes about attacking Trudeau on this issue. I know that uh, we had a Democratic governor of Virginia who was in blackface. And 
we did see the right try to attack him, but it's a bit awkward for the right in the U.S., mm-hmm. considering their associations with racism that continue today and how they openly embrace it. Uh, is, how does that <laughs> dynamic play out in Canada? Well, it's sort of the perfect opener for Maxime Bernier because he is um, he is basically like the 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 Nazi like kind of guy that's running this time. He broke off from the the federal conservative party because he didn't win the nomination Andrew Scheer did um and he has all like and when I say Nazi I'm not that's not like hyperbole it's I mean he's got people from Pegida and all of this stuff like supporting him so (laughs) So, just to take a step back he is the leader of the People's Party of Canada which is his creation he splintered it off uh it sounds like he's trying to name it after Garrett Wilders' uh, people, yes. People's Party of Holland. I believe, yeah, I believe they're friends. I believe that like they've been photographed together and stuff. So, so that that's what's going on on the right. Yeah, it, it's funny because one of my first reactions, uh, uh, one of my first thoughts to the blackface scandal is as a regular listener of uh, Rob Rousseau's Forty Ninth Parahel. Yes. And Rob talks about some of these far right figures like uh, like Maxime mm-hmm. on his show. I sort of figured, well, if anything, maybe if Canada is going in the racist direction of the United States, maybe this will help Trudeau at the polls. Yeah, well, so you you raise sort of a point there because, um, you know, Quebec is always a wild card in elections. And people always try to armchair, like, figure out what's going to happen with them. And it, it changes from minute to minute. And obviously, just because you have a group that is dominated by uh, one type of, you know, ethnicity or one type of group historically doesn't mean that everybody votes in a monolith or whatever. But yeah. <laughs> Quebec has had blackface scandals in its past uh most notably you guys might be aware of um you know hockey player named pk suban yeah who is black who, who is black and people used to wear blackface to to see the habs play oh god so and that's not the only time that these kinds of things have happened there is a little bit more of you know what do you want to call it you know there's I mean, Estelix and all of those types of things, like they all have like a racist history and yeah. there's like, you know, so I, I, you know, there is a different approach that I'm not saying it's good or, and I'm not defending it. I'm just saying there's a tolerance level that's different for that in Quebec than there is maybe in the other provinces. And I think honestly, you know, if you take Quebec out of out of it, you know, there's enough people that, are are scared of the promise of sheer meaning that you know the last time that the conservatives ran they ran on this idea of having a muslim snitch line mm, Jesus. that's what that's what lost them the election was that they basically said we're going to open this line and if you ever see a muslim person doing something weird then you can you can go ahead and call this line and we'll investigate it and that was the sum total of the proposal and people were like no, <laughs> we don't want to do that. And so now we have Trudeau. So, so. I mean, it's it's a, it's a grim scenario, but mm-hmm. uh, people, I guess, might be uh, hoping that Quebec, uh, Quebecers, the Quebecois, vote for Trudeau because the alternative uh, outlet for uh, le racism 
is <laughs> is the conservatives and yeah. having uh, having myself lived in montreal uh i can certainly speak to there is definitely like a um like a french secular idea that perm that permutates into racism like the superiority of like oh our french uh, you know, they're so proud of their French past that it just sort of transcends things sure. and uh, translates into fucked up racism. Yeah. And, you know, that's also the thing that might end up saving Trudeau in a weird way uh, is that he is a hometown boy. He, you know, his dad was passionately, you know, a, a Montrealer, you know, and, and, and uh, was well respected in, in that community. Um, and, you know, the, I don't know, I don't want to get into too much of the SNC-Lavalin thing because we've already talked about it for way too long in Canada as it is. But there was a, a school of thought when that all happened that, you know, Trudeau was going to come out the victor in this because he saved jobs that Quebecers. Um, and and sorry, just to take a step back, this is a scandal where Trudeau pressured his top prosecutor to... Uh, yeah. To, to to not prosecute for some environmental disaster was it uh, or right and this is a company that has had to say the least a checkered past uh they've had numerous allegations of um you know horrible business practices and uh you know like think about your like coca-cola war type stuff yeah so <laughs> Um, so, you know, so this was from the outside, not the company that you want to be looking the other way on, but by looking the other way, as the story goes, they saved thousands of jobs and the, most of those jobs would primarily have gone to Quebecers. So I, I noticed that, um, you know, when preparing for this interview, I was thinking that like Quebecois nationalism obviously used to be big on the federal level in Canada Mm -hmm. uh, a decade ago, there were about 60 seats uh, mm -hmm. held by the Bloc Québécois in Parliament. Now yep. there are only 10. Uh, without going into all the, you know, details about maybe like the sponsorship scandal, the NDP's rise in 2011, whatever, it, it mm -hmm. sort of seems like more broadly speaking that the decline of Québécois nationalism on the federal level is the thing that could really save Trudeau here. Yeah, I think that you're right. And for the same reason that you're saying, uh, you know, something to support that is that, you know, there's a whole generation of kids that came after me that don't remember the referendum. They don't remember. That's um, in 1994 when Quebec right. was like, what, half a percentage point from becoming independent? Yeah, it was real. It, that is a scandal that is a story for another day. But <laughs> Don't hold referendums if, we, you know, people should have just listened to Canadians about Brexit and nobody would be in this fucking mess. Everybody would be in Mallorca. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's so, yeah, when the referendum happened, that was a real watershed moment for a lot of people. You know, it was the it was the apex of the separatists. And, you know, not saying that there aren't still separatists in Quebec, but, it, you know, there is a whole generation who are who don't necessarily understand or share those concerns and they just want to get on with it and they just want to have jobs and they just want to have kids and they just want to make sure that they have a place to live when they graduate from university. So, you know, I that can also help 
Trudeau because we know as you skew younger, you skew more to the left. So that could end up helping him. And I don't honestly believe that the NDP are going to make inroads into Quebec. Uh, well, and, I, I, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought that up because people in the U.S. who I don't know, maybe occasionally Google Canadian politics once in a while, know <laughs> that, yes, there, there is, in fact, a, a mainstream party to the left of the liberals, the yep. NDP. And you don't sound too uh, bullish on their prospects of doing well. At the, in the next election. Why, why is that? Why aren't they going to... It seems like this should be the NDP's time to make inroads. What, what's their, what's their should, problem? It should be, but we have the classic problem right now, which is that the NDP refuses to just crack left and just be like, okay, fuck it. We're going to say nationalize cell phones. We're going to say, you know, do all of these things. You know, I looked at their climate plan and I actually tweeted at Jagmeet, uh, sorry, Jagmeet, um, to you know that your plan is to fail slower by like 10 percent from (laughs) from the liberals like it's not it's not (laughs) ambitious it's not you know and when he first got in he got sort of cornered at a press conference and he he didn't want to say whether he supported pipelines you know and these are the kinds of things where it's like these are easy wins you know like say the thing and see how it goes because by by no one ever saying the thing you don't know how popular it is you know what i mean yeah (laughs) and and you know even when things are popular people don't want to talk about them so just fucking talk about them you know abortion is more popular than any sitting person in parliament right now (laughs) but (laughs) but you know nobody wants to say that when they hear andrew Scheer saying he wants to reopen the abortion debate Mm. (laughs) so I mean, the last time that this sort of came to a push uh, where something was going to be tabled on the floor of parliament, people did a letter writing campaign and it ended up not even being put on the floor. So, you know, NDP cowards. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's basically what it is. Like, I I have no doubt in my mind he's a nice guy and he's just trying to do his best and whatever. I think he's getting bad intel. I think, you know. You know, there's this classic idea of, well, you know, the, these newspapers won't cover you unless you're centrist and blah, blah, blah. It, um, newspapers will cover you if, I swear to God, if you came out and said, we are going to stop oil exports by whatever, 2025, you're going to get covered by the newspaper. You're going to get a lot of fucking coverage by the newspaper. <laughs> so just swing for the fences. But that's not the Canadian way. And, you know, I understand he's got... um. He's got this sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of thing, because we know that Canada is much more racist than it purports to be. And this is a guy that's going to go on TV in a, in a turban and a beard and tell everybody how he thinks it's going to be. So I get it. But, you know, we should be learning the lesson from Obama that, you know what, going towards the center did not help that man once whatsoever you know and, and, and not to mention uh uh jagmeet singh's brother was just harangued by some muslim hating guy and we're talking yeah. about sikhs here so yeah. people are gonna say what they're gonna say on uh, the people racists are gonna be racist no matter what and fuck it you just gotta go for that banning oil exports by 2025 <laughs> <laughs> you know and i also think that you know 
it's a good thing for Canada to actually see some of that stuff like happening in real time because I think there's a lot of people that don't see that uh, ever in their day to day life and they don't ever experience it and um, you know everybody likes to talk about big cities and whatever there's still racism in big cities I've still I've seen people you know get you know all kinds of slurs yelled at them on the bus and things like that I mean it still does happen and you know when you see that stuff happen it's an important gut check moment and I think Canada doesn't have enough of those gut check moments where it's like oh so you're saying this woman should be forced to give birth or oh so you're saying that people should be able to call a phone number and turn their neighbor in because they are Muslim you know we don't have enough of those gut check moments you know Canadians well, may be too polite, but you should uh, uh, go after your left-wing British counterparts and start calling conservatives in Canada Tory scum. Cause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny because, you know, the left in Canada were always looking at what they're doing in the UK. And there was that one um, there was that one PSA that Labour did where the it was just a guy walking down the street and he was like, you know, I my dad was a builder. My mom was a nurse. You know, I share more in common with, you know, the the guy who runs the the shawarma shop than I do with, uh, you know, Nigel Farage. And it goes on and on and it lays out this beautiful argument for, yes, the white middle class absolutely should be leftist because they potentially have the most to lose as we go along. Because, yes, there has always been an underclass of of people of other races and an underclass of immigrants and things like that, but they're coming for you. And that is such a smart campaign because it plays on the same fears that your Nigel Farage's do, but in a way that's constructive. Well, it's good listening to you talk about these things, Karen. It's good. The fact that Sam, uh, went to college in Canada university, excuse me, (laughs) went to McGill university in, uh, in, in Canada, speaks a little French, likes to likes to show it off when he can. And uh, it leaves him equipped to talk about these uh, issues in Canadian politics that uh, I personally am not as equipped to talk about, hence why I was asking about Justin Trudeau blackface and yeah. why I'm now going to ask about ex-Toronto Mayor <laughs> Rob Ford. Oh, uh, sure. You know, we, we, we see these uh, sort of right-wing buffoons are all the rage now with Trump mm-hmm. in the U.S. and we have Boris Johnson in the U.K. I mean, Rob Ford was a prequel to these guys in many ways. So what's the closest thing Canada has to Trump now that Rob is watching the skies? Who's who's watching the neighborhood? Oh, honey, am I going to be the first person to tell you that Rob Ford's brother is our governor? Well, is he is he comparable? <laughs> is he is he so comparable we, to it's his called brother? The premier, it's not the governor. Yes. Oh, I mean, Doug, Doug doesn't have the substance abuse issues that his brother did. That's a pity. But Doug makes all those same decisions 100% sober and with a straight face. Mm. So you be the judge. I mean, you know, I, 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 it's actually funny because, you know, when it was positioned in the American press, um, Rob was sort of like made out to be this real buffoon and this sort of but but an avuncular kind of guy. And that's not really the impression that most Torontonians had of him. He was a brusque, awful he once like called a woman a cunt at um, the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs game. Um, 
I mean, yeah, like he just had no filter and he he pushed a woman over on the floor of um, our city council during a city council meeting and like barely apologized for it. It was caught on video. <laughs> I can send that to you, by the way, if you want to like link to it or whatever. But yeah, like, I mean, he was the real shit bomb. So Doug has that more under control, but he still he still, you know, waged war against parents of kids with autism, which blew up in his face, uh, you know, pretty terribly um, so badly that he had to move the minister in charge uh, to uh, to um, sorry, tourism and <laughs> yeah, health to tourism. Yeah. And, you know, he's. He, he has, you know, cut budgets in, in areas that didn't need to be cut. He waged war against our sex education, uh, you know, which they were updating the curriculum. And the curriculum basically um, was saying stuff like, hey, you know, some some kids have two moms. Some kids have two dads. You know, some kids have parents and their their gender is maybe not man or woman. Um, you know, pretty basic stuff. And they threw an absolute shit fit over that. And then they tried to use racism in a different way. They tried to basically shore up support from like Muslim community and things like that to be like, well, you know, this is disgusting. This is blasphemy. But really, honestly, at the end of the day, I think most people in <laughs> Ontario don't want to have these discussions with their kids. So as long as like the, the, sex education that's being taught in school isn't like, hey, um, you know, here's how to punch a lady out. They're going to just be like, great. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, Canada, you know, is still a country governed by people too embarrassed to stay in Scotland. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I, I remember uh, when Rob himself was coming up people were describing him to me as like, cause I, I'd already left the country by then, but people were describing him to me as like, uh, really like aiming for suburban grievance and really a mm -hmm. product of like a political quirk in Toronto, whereby the city merged with the suburbs yes. in, in how they elect people. And therefore Rob for a guy like Rob Ford could, could rise to the top mm -hmm. by drumming up suburban grievance politics. And yeah. uh, it seems like Doug is carrying on as premier of Ontario. Well, yeah, when you look at our electoral map, you know, what's called the greater Toronto area, the GTA, it was like solid, solid blue and everything that was downtown, which was an equal, you know, it, an equal population. It's like when you see those electoral maps, like for, about gerrymandering or whatever um, of America, and it's like California, and it shows you like how many people live in like, you know, Los Angeles, and then it'll show you like all of Iowa, and it's like same population, right? So that's what we had. Like all of downtown was like, go fuck yourself <laughs> when it came to him and every you know everybody who was uh, you know in the outer boroughs was like oh no he's a good guy i'm like well you don't have to take the subway in the morning and you don't have to you know deal with um you know with the private garbage collection and you don't have to deal with some of these other things that they change um that really affect how the city operates you know and <sighs> I get why people do that for the political efficiency of it, uh, because it does get you votes. But at the end of the day, you know, 
Toronto is lurching towards like New York City 1976 like it's you know you can only cut budget so much you can only you know mm-hmm. annex so many communities you can only do so many things you before you're going to get pardon this term white flight before you're going to get people just saying like fuck this I can't stay here you know and and the city is going to crumble mm. You still need people to pay the taxes, and we're not asking people who have houses that are a million dollars or more to pay taxes, so who the fuck is paying the taxes? Thanks again to Karen. Check out her podcasts. She has two of them. One of them is On Belief, a podcast about cults. The other is On Grief, a podcast about death. Check out uh, the latest of On Grief. Karen says she interviewed a mortician. And that it is a it is not as grim as it sounds, but even if it were grim, it would still be quite interesting, in my opinion. Yeah. So check that out. Okay, we'll be back tomorrow with the newscast. Also, some haiku for some of our new subscribers over the weekend, and we have a uh, special listener rant line call that we're going to play tomorrow regarding uh, the awful pundit tournament. That thing's kicking off this week. So stay tuned for tomorrow's show. Thank you for listening. We're back then. We're here in D.C. So you don't have to be.